Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. It's been a while since you've heard our voices, and that's that's actually a good thing. Normally, we'd be worried about that, but this was a good thing because we had decided in the midst of this win streak that the Grizzlies were just on that we were not going to record another episode until the Grizzlies finally lost. And, uh, and last night, they lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Unfortunately, they ran out of gas, which we knew was going to happen. We just, uh, we just didn't know when. And so now that they have officially lost, we have Brantley in the house. We have Ty in the house. I'm Will. We are all back together again just to, to relive, uh, to commemorate this 11-game win streak. Brantley, what's up, dude? Man, it's good to see your digital faces. It's been a while since since you've been on the pod. The last time Ty and I talked, it was like early December. And then you and I talked back in November. So it's literally been over a month and a half. Yeah, you know, I just have been really keeping my opinions at a premium. Keep them to myself. (laughs) (laughs) This is so gold. We also had to take some time off. We were in health and safety protocols as a podcast, so that was, right. that was also part of it. Ty, what's up, dude? Not much. It's good to see y'all. So happy to be back. Sad, but happy. Bittersweet. Ty, I know. are you I... wearing like a full barber coat inside your house? No, nah, man. Just a little, a little, uh, little pullover. Collar okay. just comes up kind of high. Uh, looks like so. you're rocking the Memphis barber, barber coat. It's because you're, <laughs> no, you're Wi-Fi. Okay. I'm just... not that cool. Just so if curious. you couldn't tell, we are recording this remotely. Uh, we just had to, to stop everything we were doing and, and get together. So that's why we're, we're hoped we hope to be in person very soon again. But we have to uh, we had to I jump know, on. I can't, I can't believe we're potting at two thirty in the morning. That's wild. That's, it's crazy. After this Mavericks game, you know, we're waking wild. me up after the Mavs game just to do this. <laughs> so what we're gonna do today on the podcast is. To, to, uh, to celebrate the 11-game win streak, we are actually going to talk about um, sort of the top 11, uh, I would say, topics or, or storylines. Just basically, we're going to hit 11 different bullet points on this podcast. If it goes too long, we'll, we'll do two parts, but we'll worry about that after it's over. So the very first topic we're going to hit is just kind of very – it's just general. It's the your favorite moments – from this win streak, which is just historic. It was a franchise record when we hit nine. And then when we went two more than that, we have a team now with 30 wins that is third place in the Western Conference, just absolutely um, shooting up the standings, shooting up in the minds of NBA fans everywhere. So let's start by just the favorite, your favorite moments from this win streak. And I'm going to pass it over to Dr. Ty Smith to start us off on this one. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't snake draft this because, yeah, <laughs> obviously the just everything to do with the Lakers game. Mm. Um, best game of the bunch, just talking all the noise to LeBron. At LeBron L.A., I'm like, assuming, right? Yeah, were in two. L.A. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. in L.A. Um, where, yeah, LeBron was just furious the whole time. Bain was going nuts. Jaw had the greatest block anyone's ever seen. It was that that whole game and vibe just during the game, after the game, it was just wild. That was my favorite favorite game of the eleven 
um, for sure. Especially since it was the second time we beat L.A. within the same win streak, which was mm-hmm. just very sweet on their home court. Yeah. Uh, Brantley, what about you? What sticks out as one of your favorite moments? Um, it's hard to not talk for me not to think about that Phoenix game where mm. um, you know we won by one on the road. Ja had 33 points. Um, it was kind of his first, what I would say was his first game back from his sort of 12-game streak of being out where he was back to his, like, I would say, all first-team NBA level of performance um you know not surprisingly he sort of got off to a not like a slow a slow start by jaw standards is what i would say and that game was a game where you know all practical purposes the suns were just without ayton um so they were basically i would say sort of full strength ish um that's kind of i i think that's kind of what everybody is like during um this year they're always kind of full strength ish they're never really full strength um, and, uh, I don't know, you, he just outdueled the Suns. um, you know, if I remember correctly, he hit a, you know, a, a layup to, to help us, um, seal the deal in that game. And, um, it just kind of felt good to, I, I sort of, not that there was, it was a real monkey on his back, so to speak of, you know, no one really thought that we were better without him, um, uh, we've chronicled that, I think, on this podcast back in, you know, November when I wasn't here. Um, but just to sort of see him, that was a game that just really stuck out to me, um, you know, kind of early on in the streak. Yeah, and it was at the time Phoenix was, I believe, number one in the West. Yeah, and so it was right. also a big deal to go in their house. Uh, one thing I'll add on that is how – so you talked about like the game winning layup where he just like hung in the air forever. Yeah. The like just the most casual got the ball out of bounds, faked a little dribble handoff and then just went to the rim, hung in the air, and he just made it look like it was the easiest thing in the world. And after the game they were asking about it, he's like, Yeah, man, I was just supposed to fake a handoff and go score and that's what I did. <laughs> it was almost <laughs> like I mean, what what other outcome could there have been? I don't understand why you're even asking me about it. Yeah, it was just wild how easy he made that look. The so. other thing too that I loved is he's he sort of since then has done that two separate times again. One of them was another game winner against Cleveland, uh, mm-hmm. where he had the same sort of just went to the basket, got the big in the air, and then just just stayed up there longer than the, than the defender. Uh, I love his game winners are like all basically just layups, a version of a layup. Like he just goes straight to the paint. And in today's league, you see so many guys just standing out in the perimeter, draining the clock. And then are going to do like a step back, like 20 footer for the win. And Jaws like, no, I'm just going to go straight to the hoop. Yeah, because he can get whatever he wants. The other uh, one that sticks out to me, which this will come to no surprise uh, to anyone and I, I believe we're going to talk about him later in the podcast, but John Conchar's game Jenny. against Minnesota. Uh, and, and really, it was less about his game that stuck out and more about the interview right after where <laughs> just the whole team like came around him, just like gave him this big group hug, and then the whole team, just, it was just a love fest. And I think that capped off sort of this whole streak to me of of – and it really revealed the identity of this team as just being so close, so uh, for each other. And even when the guy at the 
you know, the 10th man uh, coming off the bench has a game which by a lot of standards was great. I mean, he had 17 rebounds, but you look at mm-hmm. his other stats and it's 15 points. You know, it's not like it's not like he scored 50 or anything like that, but you're still seeing them rally around a guy who has just been in in practice day in, day out, uh, doesn't always get a lot of shine, um, except on this podcast, of course. But he uh, that was a, a moment for me that I just felt like encapsulated this whole thing and, and just loved, I just loved it. Um, and, of course, the other ones that stick out are the, the Brooklyn game, that dunk um, against the Nets, and then... Uh, kind of a low key one to me is the Clippers game when Ja didn't even play. It was the game, the one game during the eleven game streak that he didn't play, and it was sort of a scheduled loss because we had the the Lakers coming up the next night, and it was a two yep. thirty p.m. game. And uh, Jaron just comes out and has his best mm-hmm. performance of the season. Other guys step up as well, and we get a win there when we really had no business winning that game, even though they didn't have Paul George. So. Um, those to me, I mean, we mentioned the Cavs game too. That was, and the Warriors game at home. There's so many. There's the so Warriors many. Warriors was awesome too because it was like this. We had been on this road trip. We had won these big games, and we were coming back to play the Warriors. And I feel like I know Chris Harrington had said this um, after that game, or maybe during the game. He was like, "This is the first time that it's felt like, okay, Memphis is like really behind this team, like a hundred percent. Like this feels like the crowd of the grit and grind era where like the stadium was packed. Everyone was standing. Whoop that trick was being played. Like it kind of felt like the city recognized like, okay, this is, this is something like we need. Well, to and it was this. kind of a homecoming too, right? Like, um, yeah. I mean, he, we, we, a lot of the streak was us taking care of business on the road. So coming home, to sort of like that level of greeting to your point. And that's something that Harrington talked about on the, on the low podcast of just yep. about how like a Memphis now realizing sort of like this new era, this new thing and them coming home. That was, you know, I didn't get to go to a game, but it was really sweet to watch that for sure. And I was in the building actually for that game. And it was, I can attest, it was a playoff atmosphere you could look around the arena. I was sitting in the upper deck, but you just look around, and it was full. I mean, I've never seen a Tuesday night game that full uh, in FedEx Forum. And um, Clay Thompson, too, was coming back, and there were some Warriors fans in the in the building, but predominantly it was Grizzlies. And like you said, it did have that homecoming feel. Um, I put together this highlight video um, that I posted on Twitter earlier this morning, and basically it just – takes all these highlights that we've been discussing and kind of splices them all up together. And so what I'm going to do actually is I'm going to play the audio of that of that uh, highlight video. It's only a couple minutes long, but I'm going to play it right here, and then we'll get to our second point. Tilly off the bounce, attacks off last oh! Three seconds. He drives. Banks. Oh! Hit in with five tenths of a second. Timeout, Phoenix. Over to steal. Grizzlies forced a turnover. Bain pitches it out. An open three. Morant. Oh! It's in. Oh! A new career high. Three point makes six. Jarrett with the slam. Stephen Anna ahead for Jaw with a full head of steam. Jaw to the deal. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
miss for Bain. Does hands it off to Ja. Ja behind his back. Ja to the basket. Ja off the glass and in as he hangs in the air again. With to Garland. Ja almost steals. He does. Defense. Ja to the basket. Ja lays it in. And the Grizzlies are up four. Right. Ja, <laughs> can you hear me? Yes, yes sir. sir. You, you hear me? We, yeah, we hear you. Uh, we hear you. Uh, Melton in trouble. Gets it to Culver. Culver drives to the Jared against Zubats right Ooh. down the lane with two hands. Beat Zubats off the bounce. Avery Bradley with the deflection against Bain. Oh, oh my gosh. What an incredible block. But you'll live with Avery Bradley shooting threes. Here's a lot for Morant. What a delivery and what a finish by Morant. Steal. And it was Zaire Williams from the backside. Yes. Screen by Clark. Morant drives. Jumps and scores. Morant three from the corner, rimming no. Getting Jimmy with it on the offensive glass. Grant doubled. Clark. Conchar for three. John Conchar delivering a massive three. Game tonight. As we're seeing here. All right, so the second topic we're going to talk about uh, has to do with the national media attention that the Grizzlies have been getting. Uh, Brantley mentioned Chris Harrington being on the Low Post podcast, which is um, probably the number one NBA podcast probably out there in terms of just sheer numbers of people that listen to it. Um, uh, ben Taylor on the Thinking Basketball YouTube page did a John Morant featured video, uh, which was incredible. Uh, Kendrick Perkins had his first video essay that came. He's the number one uh, John Morant slash Grizzlies fan out there. I think at ESPN is safe to in say. the dark side. I, I he compared John Morant to Michael Jordan. Um, Jordan-esque. He also said Desmond Baines, as in like plural. <laughs> was plural. This was awesome. Oh, uh, and then uh, speaking of Desmond Baines, uh, he had a, a profile written on the Athletic about him in that in that. Our article, it talked about all the trash talking that Memphis does, which is just hilarious to Love me. Uh, and then John Hollinger, too, wrote about all these uh, players that you've never heard of that are actually really good, and Conchar was one of those that he wrote in that article. Um, so just like in the last two weeks, all of this national media attention, um, to me, it was bizarre. And I really was shocked to see all the different NBA podcasts I listen to have Grizzlies as like one of their top two topics to discuss. And it's kind of undeniable in the last two weeks. You had to be talking about this team. So what did you guys think about the national media attention? Was there anything that caught your eye in particular? Or what was the, what was the way that you consumed that? And how, how did you think about it? It just, it's, you know, first off, if you really think about it, um, trying to be as objective as I can with this next statement is that it really, the Grizzlies have really been the first majorly positive story that NBA media has attached onto this season. In my opinion, there's been glimpses here and there of different things, but for the most part, you know, like they've, the NBA media has had to follow health and safety protocol stuff, how the NBA has handled, you know, vaccine and mask in different um, metropolitan areas You've had to follow stories like Kyrie 
is James Harden in shape? You know, there's there's been ben different Ben the whole Ben Simmons thing. How the NBA is sort of like the great point. Like how um, Adam Silver is sort of like you know he's got his little omnipotent hands handling some of um, th- that that stuff with Daryl Morey and the Sixers. And so it, it almost like um, just feels like this. Everybody agreed just to just to to latch on to the Grizzlies at the same time. But it, I know that's obviously not the case. It's because they we deserve it. Um, you know, this streak is something that's undeniable. You know, it, it we're really um, it's similar, just in a different part of the season than sort of what the Hawks sort of um, had last year um, with their run. Um, and I, I just, I don't know, it, it, a, it was incredible just to hear it, but then it, it really gravitated everywhere. I mean, I, like the first one that I really started to pay attention to, and I was like, oh, this is about to catch on was the real ones podcast, um, where they really, um, dug in deep on John Morant and really talked about just sort of like what they like about him, um, and his demeanor and his leadership. And those are the types of things I think whenever you start to really hear former players talk about that part of jaw, like, and we'll really, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll really go into deep in that later, but it's hard. It's hard to not, I mean, the whole thing has been about jaw compared to Zion and Zion's nowhere to be found. So now all of a sudden they're like, everyone's realizing, yeah, Zion's gone. And this, not only is it job, but this whole Grizzlies team is really awesome and fun. Why aren't, why can't we watch them? Why doesn't the whole nation get to watch them? That's, that's, that's bonkers. No one ever talked about grit and grind that way, except for NBA dorks. That's a, yeah, that's, that was going to like that, man, what a segue. So my point was going to (laughs) be. We are like, especially Ja, which therefore the Grizzlies, because Ja's the Grizzlies. We have everyone's attention. Ja has the highlight people; he has their attention, and I think Zach Lowe might have mentioned this too. He has Ben Taylor's attention. He has the basketball nerds, and also just like the ESPN. Let's show a bunch of highlights. He has qualities that both. I guess different version of audiences are like obsessed with like his, his block, like we talked about earlier in the Lakers game was one of like the crazier things that's happened this year in the NBA, maybe the craziest. I don't know. Um, like even, uh, Nate Duncan, who is like the biggest basketball nerd in the universe was based, like he, he was like, is that the greatest like block of it? Like anyone's ever seen kind of thing. But then also you have people like, Zach Lowe going really in depth about how why like Jaw is so successful because he's able to like play off ball. He's able to let other players cook. He's unlike any other superstar. He lets people get involved. He actively seeks people getting involved, like the style of play that he has. So I think he's just it's coming from all angles. It's impossible for like everyone not to talk about it. So you're just hearing it from every single outlet possible. And the other thing that I just thought was um, you're starting to hear this language about our front office that I think we've been talking about since we started the podcast was, oh, this is a team that that they're slow playing, building the franchise correctly. Um, They are really intentional and methodical. They clearly have a process. They have a type. Can you like 
four years ago, we, we didn't have we. The, our type was former, like Kansas players, <laughs> who were sort of good or we thought had upside and had athletic ability. But a type was not even a, a concept. The fact that we might could even like have a definition of the type of like. Not just like ethos and mentality, IQ, approach to the game, work ethic, potentially even like family upbringing, like all that kind of stuff that is like fitting into the mold of the type of people that we're going to go and build around comes into play. And then you have national media talking about like not just Conchar, but recognition of like Killian Tilly being able to be in the starting lineup and like us not miss a beat. Like, the franchises don't get talked about that way from a national media perspective. National media talks, they gravitate to stars. And the fact that they're recognizing something about the franchise to me just says, we, we talk about the franchise a lot, but that it just, for someone who consumes NBA podcasts is entertainment all the time. That does not get talked about. People don't talk about franchises that way. It just doesn't. Cause it's not interesting, but for some reason that's, I mean, and it's the right storyline. That's what's interesting about us. Yeah, I had compared at one point during this streak to the Grizzlies to kind of the Oakland A's Moneyball uh, team where um, it's not this lightning in a bottle thing. I mean, the win streak sort of highlights the team in a way that no other – like winning winning is the key. I mean, that's, that's obviously what we're learning here uh, to getting attention. But the, the point of Moneyball – was that they were building this different way and they had found success that wasn't necessarily this fleeting thing. It was a process that ended up working out and paying dividends down the line and wins. And I think that you're seeing that with the Grizzlies too. Like, I don't think this is just this uh, once in a kind of this, we're, we're not seeing luck. We're seeing the results of, um, small decisions that continue to be correct decisions just accruing and i think that that is something which is encouraging and i think where you because to me when i see the grizzlies being talked about on a national perspective i'm always searching for kind of the rat poison if you will of just like what are they talking about that is either hyperbole or is a a little off base from what's actually the case and and especially coming from us who watch each and every minute of each of every game so it's like um but this this was different like the the everybody that was talking about it was talking about it in terms of no we can see John Morant actually putting it all mm. together right now we can see the defensive impact of Jaron Jackson Jr. we're seeing Desmond Bain's ascent we're we're, we're noticing the depth here. We're, we're saying the names of guys that are the 13th and 14th men. So I think that that's uh, very notable is that the attention to me didn't feel um, like they had to just kind of check the box of talking about the team that happened to be winning. No, it was an actual analysis of are these yeah. guys contenders. Um, so that was, that was really exciting in a way because national media is – very hit or miss in that way. Um, yeah. And the, to, to your point, which maybe we'll talk about later or not, but it, it's not necessarily a topic, but it's like that people asking the real question of, are we contenders? I mean, like, I don't even think that like that question was asked of the grit and grind team during the year we made the Western conference finals. No, no, it was ever, like, it was legit. 
is this a team that could sneak, could be last year's Phoenix? Right, exactly. Or like a better version of the Hawks, almost. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like if you if you make that comparison, it's like the Hawks were sort of bought in a way. They just had a bunch of cap space and decided to spend it all because their GM was scared of being fired. But the Grizzlies just feel like they're they've been built. You know, it's, it's That's just right. this, and so. Um, I'm, I'm probably getting ahead of myself, too. But let's talk about point number three, which is actually uh, the notable absences or the notable injuries in this streak because it wasn't this full-strength team that was putting together uh, a string of wins because other teams weren't at full strength. In fact, it was, it, was, it was very contrary to that. So here's a trivia question for you guys. Who are the only three players to play all 11 games in the win streak. Jaren's one. Jaren, Jaren's one. Yeah. Jaren is one. Tyus is one. Tyus is yes, he's another. Um the third one's a little tough. Brandon yeah. Clark. Brandon Clark. Nice. Nailed it. Yeah, and it's interesting because Brandon Clark was his first game back from injury was Sacramento, which was the first win in this win streak. So um, he barely made it in, but only three players played every game. Yep. John, John Bain played 10 out of the 11, but um, and, and that was notably, I know for Ja, I can't remember what Bain's injury game was, but I know that Ja's was that Clippers game that I referenced. They both set out the Pistons game. Or, or, no, I'm sorry, Bain set out Pistons, Ja set out the Clippers the following game. The, the main game was the game where Dylan played his only full game, and then he played mm. six minutes the game after that. Yep, I was about I to mention Dylan yep. next because now he's looking at a three- to five-week timeline for that ankle. So, I mean, you only have one game with Dylan Brooks, your best wing defender. Um, Zaire Williams, who is another huge story from this win streak, he came back versus Cleveland, so you didn't even have him. Uh, Killian Tilly, as you mentioned, Brantley was having the start at the beginning of this streak. John Conchar playing major minutes. You saw uh, appearances from Santi Aldama, Brandon Clark in the starting lineup when Steven Adams was out. And then the, the, the thing that uh, often goes overlooked when we talk about the Grizzlies, a.k.a. the coaching staff, uh, there were three different head coaches throughout this streak. So Taylor Jenkins in the first part, Brad Johnson took over, and then uh, Jones. Dar- J- Brad Jones, Brad Jones, and then Darko Rajakovic. Um, so it's just like unbelievable. You got Rajakovic right, but you missed up Jones. I I, re- I typed I had a typo on my uh, on my outline here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Autocorrect. But we also didn't have Kyle for four games. We didn't have Kyle against Brooklyn, which arguably was maybe the biggest game that we would have needed him for yes. one of his, like, from a defending perspective. That was one of the, th- I'm, I, like, this sort of the team depth thing. I won't hit on it because I know we're going to talk about it later. But also, like, your match, that's just the storyline for the season a little bit. It's like we're, we, we didn't have Dylan. You know, we played the Suns without Aiton, the Lakers without AD. Uh, the Spurs didn't have DeJounte. The Nets were full without Kyrie. You know, the Cavs didn't have Sexton. The Clippers didn't have PG. The Warriors didn't have Draymond. And I'm not saying all that like, oh, that's why we had the streak. I, it's just everybody's dealing with it. So Everybody it's like, is. so the roster construction, like, is, is no, it's like notable absences is a huge component of also understanding just like the theme that we were talking about beforehand of just like how 
we've sort of zagged against maybe, you know, popular team building methodologies. And that's sort of been, that has definitely benefited us over the past two years and definitely this year too. Yeah. And we were talking about in our last podcast, um, however many moons ago that was, but when the win streak we had without jaw, uh, and a lot of that was because of the absences on the other team. I mean, they were missing their best players, and we saw, like, for instance, last night against the Mavs, you saw what a, a Mavs team with Luka on it uh, looked like against us. So it's just like um, that, that's an increasingly important element to the season, and hopefully, hopefully by the time we get to playoff time, it doesn't have this major impact, especially just because it seems – like this unpredictable sort of your, your all of a sudden you might not have your best player for five or six games in a row. Um, and then Steven Adams again was another one who he was in health and safety protocols um, yep. for a few games as well. So, I mean, we definitely were not at full strength through this whole win streak, but uh, it shows you the, the ways in which depth can really pay dividends down the line. Uh, Ty, anything to add to this point in particular? No, I think, yeah. Y'all, it's just kind of the state of the NBA. Um, I am glad that no one's used that as like a crutch or an excuse for us winning. Um, True. So that's been good to see and hear. But yeah, it's. I think I was going to make this point earlier, but y'all were just killing it, so I'll let y'all cook. But the whole point of us just having, I feel like we have the most unique team in the NBA for sure this year, and I'm trying to think of a more unique team in like the most like recent past and I'm having trouble coming up with it just by the fact that the guys that are playing, the guys that are contributing, like there's not another team in the league that has contributions from a John Conchar. There's just not like, there's not a undrafted 23 year old, 24 year old rookie, you know, that's been in your system, been in the G league, worked his way up. Like no, no other team as good as us, is having those contributions. It's just not happening. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I think, and that's, uh, to y'all's point, that's one of the reasons we're able to sustain what we're doing with people out is we just have an extremely unique roster. Yeah, all right. Well, let's move on to point number four, which is just the, the team offense. And I just want to throw out a few numbers here to, to tee up the discussion but before, so de- December 26th was the game against the Sacramento Kings, which, which started this streak. Before December 26th, our offensive rating was 110.7, which if you don't know what offensive rating that is, basically what offensive rating is, it's basically a how many points do you score per 100 possessions, and it essentially equalizes um, uh, offensive output throughout the league so that you can actually have a metric by which to compare teams. Um, and so 110.7, which we were seventh in offensive rating before December 26th, we our, our offensive rating went up to 114 during the streak, but oddly enough, our, our rank in the league went down to ninth. So we were seventh pre-streak, went down to ninth, but our points per 100 possessions went up by four. And right now, uh, we are sitting for the season at 111.6 offensive rating, which is good for sixth in the NBA. So that's excellent. Uh, if you're top sixth, that's great. But it, team defense, this is the this is the 
the big one, which we're going to get to next. And I'll just note the numbers here, but I want to start with the offense. We'll kind of combine these two points. Um, but before December 26th, our defensive rating, which is how many points do you allow per 100 possessions, was 109.1. That was 16th in the league, which was vastly improved already. From before that, at one point, we were literally ranked last in the NBA in defense. Uh, points have been uh, made about that, how, how a lot of it was opponent shooting luck. But we've already litigated that, so we won't go back. But then after December 26th, during our streak, our defensive rating was 105.5, which was the fifth best in the NBA. So we literally went up 11 spots. Um, and then now our, our net defensive rating is 108.1, which is ninth best in the league. So you're looking at a top six defense, or excuse me, a top six offense and a top nine defense. Our net rating is, is 3.5, which is seventh in the league. So you're seeing the way in which a streak like this, which it's no small size, 11 games, is, can actually affect uh, your numbers. And so you're seeing that. So let's talk about the offense here. What did you guys see that stuck out just in, in, in a macro sense? We'll get into the, the individual players here soon, but what was what stuck out about the offense? I think to me is during the last – I just did the last 12 games, looked at stats, so that's including the Mavs game last night, so it may skew things a little bit. During the last 12 games, we were 29th in the league in three-point percentage. That's wild. We won 11 straight games basically – bottom three in three-point percentage per game, um, which is just insane. Uh, I just kept thinking, I was, and this kind of, I guess, the Harrington mm. on Zach Lowe's pod kind of got me, like, what if we hit shots? Like, what would it look like if we had some guys hit what shots? What if Jaron hit shots? Dude, uh, yeah, we'll get to Jaron maybe in a little bit. <laughs> Do you all know what percentage he shot from three in the last 12 games? Like, like- 200% something, or something. 24 20 maybe? Yeah. Yeah, like 22% from three. 200. In his Sorry, last 12. Idiot. I was looking at point two hundred. Yeah. <laughs> 200%. Yeah, 200%. This is not only from three. Jaron can't score from anywhere. He's shooting 45% from like the restricted area. Jaron can't score, period. Like his offense is just not there right now. His defense is amazing. But I just can't get over how, like how did we do this and – a thing that we also led the, or we were second in the league during that streak in field goal attempts. So we were just getting up a ton of shots. We weren't really hitting a lot of them. Um, <laughs> well, we were putting I think, up a ton of shots and we were holding on to possessions. We had a I very think one low thing, turnover rate. Yeah. Um, to add to that, Ty, real quick, I think one thing that we'll look at in a second, too, in defense is just how many steals and rebounds we had. Led yeah, the league like, in steals, led the league in rebounding, and basically led the league in blocks during that stretch. So field goals attempted and those metrics, I think, go hand in hand. I For mean, sure. You can kind of see you're, force, you're, you're, you're stealing possessions from the other team. Yeah, that but my biggest thing is we score a ton of points in the paint. We always have. We're continuing to do that. Um, and we're shooting terrible. And there's going to be a stretch where we start knocking down shots. I believe in Jaren's three-point shot. He's still letting them fly, which is awesome to see. That will start falling at some point, I think. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway on the offensive side. Anything from you, Brantley, on the offense? Um, I don't really have any, like, big, 
big things. I sort of like towards the end, I, I think one of the things that just sort of started to become really interesting to me was just how I, I felt like I could really see an adjustment in the way that teams were guarding um, Bain. I felt like you could sort of see it. And this is really hindsight, not hindsight, but this is really just sort of re uh, recency bias the past like three or four games he seems to be pressing a little bit harder. And I think that's just based on the way that guards are really forcing him um, to, to take a little bit more difficult shots. They realize he's like how important he is to our offense uh, from a creator creation standpoint. And we've, it sort of has almost felt like really the golden state, Minnesota and Dallas games have all felt like playoff games to me. Um, and, and, um, uh, and just in terms of the intensity. And so, you know, he hasn't really had to create in that type of um, environment. And so I'm focusing on just one player. But um, I, I, I do think that that has sort of also helped or has led to some of the things that I just intu intuitionally am saying, like, yeah, the offense just hasn't seemed to be, quote, unquote, clicking as much. But then um, we just seem to fly really fast, which has been really crazy. So I don't know. I, yeah, to me, I think the the key part of the offense was how uh, how Ja and Bain really shouldered the load scoring wise. Uh, if you look just across the the win streak, especially, it was just incredible how consistent those two guys were. But then how inconsistent everybody else was. But it was not the inconsistent that ended up having negative outputs because it was inconsistent in the sense that. There might be a guy off the bench, like, I don't know, Tyus Jones, who has 17 against Golden State. Or, or Brandon Clark will have 18 against, uh, I think he had 18 at some point early on in the street. It's just like you never knew who was going to produce, but it ended up somebody stepped up. And so it was like John and Bain were giving you 50 points a night, but then who else was going to come in and what, what uh, uh, scoring by committee was going to get you to um, – you know, 110 or whatever. Um, and so that was interesting from the offensive end. From the defensive end, I think it's uh, – I think the, the, the conversation has to start with Jaron, um, especially the Golden State game, which I was – as I mentioned, I went to this game. I uh, Jaron had four fouls uh, in the early third quarter, and he had to sit for most of that third – um, and the fourth, honestly, he didn't ha have a, a lot of minutes. But you could see, especially a Golden State team without Draymond Green, uh, could not get anything to go at the rim when Jaron was there. And then as soon as he went out, you could see they started scoring. They actually went up by six at one point in the third. It was just a completely different game. And right now he's actually second in the NBA in, in stocks, which are steals plus blocks. And I think that you're seeing – Who's hand. he behind on that? Uh, Miles Turner. Wow. And he, he passed Rudy Gobert recently. So, I mean, you are you're seeing the impact uh, that he can have on the defensive end. And then also, um, there, Ja actually had a, a few key steals and games over the stretch as well. So that's been great to see. And, and Bain, too, having to guard. Uh, uh, like he had to guard LeBron. I know he didn't. Obviously, LeBron scored and and got his numbers, but it's just everybody stepping up um, on that in the floor. And like I mentioned, in the, in the overall numbers, going from 16th in defensive rating to fifth. I mean, and, and Ty, what you said about how 
we just shot terribly throughout this stretch. I mean, you had to rely on your defense. And so, to me, more than the offense, it was the defense that really stepped up and was the key during this streak. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Tripp was nuts on the defensive side of things. Um, yeah, averaging – he almost averages as many blocks as he does fouls in the last 12 games, which is wild. He's basically at like three of each if you round up and round down a little. Um, but it's still just wild. Uh, he's a – it's kind of crazy because when he came in the league, everyone's like, okay, his defense is what's going to be like his transcendent quality and the offense will like hopefully come along. And then right when he came in the league, that flipped. He, like, really struggled defensively. He fouled all the time. Just didn't seem right there. But his offense was, like, so much better than you thought it would be. And now, like, the script is almost flipping to the other way, which is what you originally thought it was. And I just can't wait for him to put it all together. Because I think, I mean, you got to remember, he's 22 years old. He's still coming into his own. So I'm excited about that. But, yeah, Tripp was nuts on defense. All right, and it's it, taking this. Oh, go ahead, Brantley. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Um, I'm, my point is not necessarily necessary. Is not necessary. We can continue. not necessarily sure? necessary. I think it's necessary. You sure? Well, you can you cut sure? out my terrible ramble. I just the, the one little point I was gonna make was that it's like I think a Grizzlies fan is normally well. It's crazy that our defense is good without our best defensive player out there and Dylan. And I will just say that the one thing that I was just sort of because y'all know I'm I'm. I, I, I love hate Dylan. I really still don't don't love Dylan, and that's okay. We we can we can be open and not, this is a safe safe podcast. It safe is place. safe place. And but one of the things that I have appreciated about our defense is that we're not um, uh, we're just we're just sticking in it and playing hard and rotating really well. We're not make, taking huge risks. And we're sort of like, to me, like doing the right things and the right movements in a way that allows really difficult shots all the time or the funneling movement into into trip that allows him to have games where he has like five or six blocks, which that I mean, three blocks changes the way defender or offensive players are going to go into the paint when he's in um, in the game. So and and so if he, if you're doubling that some games, it just really is, is much different. So. I don't know. I, I I will be really interested when Dylan returns if that risk part of the defense shifts because that that the rotations have just been really quick to me. I've always felt like we're rotating really well, um, which allows us to always force difficult shots for the most part, and that's an unmeasurable thing that just feels like it just is kind of what I feel every time I watch um, the Grizzlies play. Yeah, they can be. Sorry, guy, Will. I was going to say the games where you really kind of see the lack of having a guy like Dylan is last night in the second half where Luca is just kind of like he has it going and right. you need a guy to just go and give it 100% on that end. And, and you could see how we ran out of gas. Like I think this defensive activity that you're talking about, it takes a lot of energy. And so it's yeah. like you can, if you can have just one more guy, especially with, the, with Dylan's tenacity, uh, to go and just um, – and maybe even like that that risk like you're talking about I think it gives and it takes and so it's kind of like on a night to night basis you could have a guy like Dylan and his his he's not risk averse at all so you know if you have a guy like that to go uh, to, uh, and stop a guy like Luka Doncic you know you might you could use that but it is going to be interesting to see how he integrates on mm-hmm. both ends in that way what were you going to say Todd 
I would, yeah, I was just going to mention the versatility of the defense and how we're able to just play a lot of different ways. Like if it, if we do have a big bruiser down low, which I know Steven Adams hasn't been available and we haven't played that player, but Steven Adams can be extremely useful in that position. Uh, when he's not, you've seen Jaron start at the five a lot during this win streak, which is also something we maybe should bring up at some point and how that was like kind of like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. He's going to do this in the future. But every time he actually did it, it was like, oh, I don't know if this is, you know, it's like only certain situations where it worked well when he was like definitely able to like take advantage of it in a matchup. But now he's been doing it all the time. He's been starting at the five for however many games it was in a row because I guess at least 12 because Steven Adams missed a lot of it. I don't know about 12. But oh, no. He, Steven like Adams went out like eight? halfway through. It okay. was I think it was like six. Okay. Um, but still, it was enough. Yeah, it was enough, and he's held his own. And you, you can just see how, you know, if we're playing a certain coverage and a team start torching it, we'll just change. We can just we have the flexibility to just like do something else. Compare that to like Utah, like they can't not play go bear drop coverage. That's just like what they got. That's all they can do. And we can just do a lot of different things with our defense. And I think that allows us to mix it up. And if something's not working or a team's playing us a certain way, you know, we can just change that. Yeah. And it's, it's taken this long, and we intentionally started sort of high level, but now we're getting into the players. And so our next point, um, which if you are keeping track, it is number six out of 11 on our list, John Morant. Um, let's talk about him. He was the story throughout this, and rightly so. Uh, he, he delivered at, at the end of every single game where we needed him to. Uh, thankfully, a lot of those wins were blowouts, but um, he... First, it started with his all-star campaign, uh, which was kicking off right at the beginning of the win streak. Um, he quickly reached a point where we were going from all-star to all-NBA talk. And from there, we got into a dis- as a As a national NBA watching community, there was discussion about him being in the MVP conversation. Uh, if the Grizzlies were to keep winning. So we literally in two weeks saw the ascension of John Morant, and I just want, I just want to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to have a guy like this in Memphis um, who not only has the identity of this city from an underdog mentality, um, a guy that isn't scared and is – excited to have the ball in his hands at the end of games and actually delivers. Um, so let's just have a John Morant conversation. It's probably going to end up being a love fest, but I just want to I want to hear what you guys thought about John Morant's performance over this 11-game win streak. I, first, when we were talking um, right after the jaw campaign came out, you know, there was sort of this brief um, discussion, I think, about, like, the jaw shoe is that going to be a thing? And um, the Real Ones podcast, Roger Bell, basically on there, he spent, I would say, about six minutes of his podcast talking about how he thinks Jaws the next shoe. Um, and, and you know, if you think about the aging Nike athletes um, between Kyrie, KD, um, uh, you've got Giannis in there, but he's you, he basically was like, you need a homegrown kid. And... He was like, Nike, you need to lock him up. You need to lock up Ja right now. Like, just the, when you complement that with, like, first team All-NBA, that, that Memphis does – we just haven't had this. I'm just saying that because it's like I 
like part of the like national thing is like actually hearing people talk about the the dude that we got and and is like embracing the city that's like really incredible juxtapose that with this with this stat to me is that i didn't do this over the past 12 games it actually the 14 games that he's come back since his injury he's actually averaging less than his season average in all main categories of points per game assists and um rebounds okay so he's just just a little bit below his his season average but and the and the games that he really needed to step up, which I'm going to say are Phoenix, the first games against the Lakers, Brooklyn, Golden State. In that streak, four out of his five top scoring nights, where he put up 33 against Phoenix, 41 against the Lakers, 36 against Brooklyn, 29 against Golden State. Like we have this transcendent, different type of player that can go against the best and thinks he's better than LeBron, and is showing it. Dude, that is bleeping nuts that Memphis has a player that's like that. It's nuts. It is. I think that the uh, the a lot was made of his his when he hit the game winner against Golden State and saw the two kids in the Golden State jerseys that were trying to dap him up. And he just didn't he, – he wasn't about it. And then, like, doubled down in the press conference after. Uh, I thought probably a little bit too much was made of that as just, like, this story because it's just – I mean, it's the perfect story if you're writing about the Grizzlies. But at the same time, I love that at the – he's, he's, he's locked in to, uh, to the fan base in Memphis enough to where he's going to notice that you're not wearing – his jersey you're not wearing a memphis jersey and he's not about you if you're not uh he's like this is memphis this isn't golden state like what are you doing and so and i'm glad that it came around and the grizzlies marketing team had the genius idea to let kids you know exchange jerseys before the next game it was brilliant but just that to me uh and and how quickly something like that took off um i i think now we have a we people are thinking about John Morant every night when they turn on League Pass. It's like, what are the Grizzlies doing? Uh, what is John Morant doing tonight? And I don't think that's like I, I think not only is he in statistically one of the best players in the league right now, but he is he is a must watch player. I think you're, there's an argument to be made that he is at the top, the top of the list. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, Steph Curry definitely is up there. Um, I think John Morant is in this, like, kind of top three or four. I mean, KD's unbelievable, but you kind of know what you're going to get with KD. If in, if anything, it's like, oh, let's, let's watch the Nets and see what they're doing today. I think Giannis was there, and now we've seen him for, you know, Jokic, too, is up there. But, like, Jaw is this new thing. Um, that is on the minds of everyone, and he's delivering. And I think that is the most important part. He's not just a highlight. He's not just a highlight. He is a he is a highlight that is also a winning player, and that's super important. Um, and yeah. so I, I think that I don't think that he should. I don't think he's going to end up necessarily uh, ending. I don't think he's going to end the year in the MVP conversation. But I think that at this point in time, Why not? like. He's almost a Why lot not? for all NBA. In Why the not? MVP conversation, I just 
I think that top five. I mean, maybe top five, but I think that you are going to you're going to see uh, a few more teams ascend. I think that you're going to have a Luka Doncic push. They were the second hottest team, sneaky, behind Memphis in this most recent stretch. I think Curry's already up there. Jokic is going to have all the stats. Giannis is going to be up there again, and Katie as well. So I think it's just a really crowded space up at the very top, and I think it's awesome that Josh. Can we talk about, though, who you just talked about him with, though? I know. Well, that's the wow. thing is, like, in, in, in this conversation, we would have never expected to have – uh, that be a topic, but I think that from an all NBA perspective, um, I mean, I'd be shocked if he wasn't on uh, an all NBA team at the end of this year. Um, I think he's basically guaranteed second if he stays relatively. If he doesn't, he could have another injury bat. But he's there's not a there's not a better guard selection for him at a minimum of second team to me. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I think he's proven it on the big stage too. Um, like you were, like we've mentioned, Warriors game, Phoenix game, he hit the game winner. Like all this stuff, he's proving it on the biggest stage. One, I think the really cool thing with Jaws, I think all of this is like truly just beginning. I think, and I saw something, it was like a Twitter thread the other day, people were talking about it, how you almost saw, so that before, the, before the Dallas game, I was watching like the ESPN pregame thing. And they asked everybody on the on the pregame, who would you rather have going forward, Ja or Luca? Anyone in their right mind would probably, up to this point, say Luca from what he's done in the playoffs. Like Luca's this generational player. Some people think he could be like a you know multiple MVP winner, all this kind of stuff. Um, Ja's like entering into that conversation, which is wild. Then I kind of saw where people were like, it's interesting to hear. When Luca came in the league, the NBA tried to make like a firm push to like almost make him the face, if that makes sense. Like kind of like, all right, let's pass the torch to someone because we have to because LeBron's 37, Steph's 33. Like we need like a younger. You've seen Tatum kind of have flashes and all that kind of stuff. Jaw's unlike any of those guys. Jaw is fun as poo. He's also crazy likable. Everyone loves him. He's in this like sweet spot right now where like he can't do any wrong. That will change, obviously. You know, as he becomes more successful, there's gonna be more scrutiny and all that kind of stuff. But he's like this success story that I think will only continue to grow and people will only continue to like him. So I think everything's just gonna continue to just go up and up and up and up and up. Like you mentioned, there's definitely a shoe in the works. Like I would say in the next probably two or three years there's gonna be a Josh shoe. Like, Memphis is going to be, like, when people think Memphis, the first thing they're going to think of is going to be Ja. I think Ja is going to have a Dirk Nowinski, Dallas-type career. He's going to be here forever. The, his retirement ceremony is going to be something crazy. I just think he is, like, the city is Ja at this point. Like, He's going to bring a championship are, to Bill Street? Oh, 100%, at least one. So there's, you can just see, like the, like, the seeds are being planted for not only, like, the face of Memphis, but... It's conceivable in the next two, three, four, five years. Jaw is like constantly like the face of NBA commercials, ESPN. They're like he is going to be that guy. He's going to be everywhere all the time. Um, and I just think that is to happen, kind of like to Brantley's point. To happen in Memphis is just is just nuts. But I, I really think this is only the beginning of all of that. All right. Um, there's two things I want to say to close out part one of this podcast. Uh, number one, 
guys, start start saving right now for NBA Finals tickets. Okay, oh. it might not happen for the next few years, but I want you to start open a savings account, and uh, you know, Patchman's college fund is going to get drained in a hurry. Throw it in that's some what, crypto. That's what my cryptocurrency fund is for, man. It's that's just right. NBA yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, yeah. And number two, we are going to have a conversation in this next part of the podcast about what this recent streak, what Jaws performance is going to do to the to to what the franchise should be looking at as the championship window, and, and where that is shifting. And so, stay tuned in part two. We're gonna break down uh, more of this streak, but then we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk more about that, uh, the implications uh, moving forward. So stick with us, and we'll see you on the next part.